This is Peace Talks, the radio series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. I'm Paul Ingalls. Welcome. Even if you only work the American average of 40 hours a week, that still means that almost 40% of your waking hours are spent at work. And we all know that workplaces can become workshops in conflict resolution because it's not always easy to get along with your boss, your fellow employees, or your customers. Conflicts of all kinds can surface, and frankly, a lot of us do our best to steer around them for as long as possible rather than face them head on. Suzanne Kreider, the original host of this program, Peace Talks, has been a leadership coach and trainer for many years, and lately she's been focusing her attention on helping people stop putting off those dreaded conversations at work, make peace, and be more productive and happy in the workplace. She talked over the problem and potential solutions recently with Peace Talks host Carol Boss and some callers facing communication challenges at work. Would you give us a couple of illustrations of some common conversations that people dread having with each other? The biggest ones are conversations that supervisors and managers need to have with their employees. And there's a range there, but they're usually about people's performance on the job. And so often there's really a dread or an anxiety about giving people feedback about their performance because most people don't want to hurt somebody else's feelings. So what I notice is there's a range from what I call anxiety to anger. That's the continuum we're talking about. And sometimes I talk about how people who have a lot of anxiety about giving feedback, we could put them in a category called wimps. Now, on the other end of the continuum are people who, when they get poor performance as an issue, they get angry. And sometimes their behavior is more like a bully. So you can see this continuum, wimp to bully. In terms of conversations about anxiety, supervisors hate to give feedback. What makes it so hard? What makes it such a dreaded thing to do? People who tend to be more wimpy and have more anxiety feel the anxiety for two reasons. One, they don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. And two, they don't want to be seen as the bad guy. So they're trying to protect themselves, but they're also trying to protect the other person. But as a result, they're pretty ineffectual. Exactly. It's a kind of immobilization. Mm -hmm. And that comes from the dread or the fear. And the dread really comes in four categories. It usually starts with mental dread, having these negative thoughts. I shouldn't talk to them. They're really not that bad. They won't like me. That's what the supervisors are saying. And the employees are saying things like, wow, I'm doing an awful job. I'm going to lose my job. Nobody here likes me. I'm incompetent. That's the mental dread. Second piece is the physical dread where we feel it in our body, the anxiety in the pit of our stomach, the tension in our shoulders, the headache. And combining those two, the unpleasant Thoughts and body sensations create these emotions like anxiety, anger, dread. The fourth kind of dread is what I call behavioral dread. There's all this discomfort going on inside of us, and then we tend to act outwardly in inappropriate ways. So people uh, cry or they yell or scream. I've heard stories about people throwing things, storming out of rooms, things like that. Not having conversation... Mm. That in itself is going to create conflict because feelings are going to come out in different ways. There's going to be certain behaviors as a result of one deciding they can't have a certain conversation, that they don't want to have that conversation, they dread having that conversation. 
That's a really good point. And I like to talk about this four-stage model, goals, roles, procedure, and interpersonal. The reason we have conflicts at work are because of our work. We have conflicts about goals. You think we're supposed to do one thing. I interpret it another way. Roles, who does what. And sometimes we get confused about who's supposed to do what. I thought you were going to do that. Oh, I thought I was going to do that. The third one is procedures. We get mixed up about how work is supposed to be done, the flow of work, the timing of work. Those three pieces are really all we really differ about or disagree about at work. But what happens, what you're talking about, is when people don't surface disagreements about goals, roles, and procedures, and then it ferments, and we turn it into an interpersonal conflict, and we start distrusting each other, talking about each other behind each other's backs, doing what I call triangulation. You don't go to the person and address the issue with them. You bring in a third party. And that's pretty common, I would imagine. It's incredibly common, and it's incredibly ineffective. And I would imagine not only is it ineffective, that it sort of poisons the whole environment. Right. Because then people learn that they're not supposed to be direct. And it wastes a lot of time. In fact, there's a research study that says the average employee spends two hours a week relating to interpersonal conflict. That's amazing. Um, It's a lot. If you think about the number of people in your workplace, two hours per week, if you've got 20 employees, that ends up to a full-time person. Mm Mm-hmm. So people's relationship with their supervisors is a, a real source of conflict. And, and Suzanne, you were on another local show with me, and we took a call that addressed that on that show, and we'd like to play that now. I have a boss who bullies. It's not management. It is bullying. She is vindictive, selfish. She lies. She's amoral, and she's always right. And she is, um, holds on to power and always wants to win by the use of bullying. This is not uncommon. So what can we do about this? First, I want to say that the work I do is really for helping you talk with people who are reasonable. And I don't want to make a judgment, but this person might be unreasonable. Um, This person could have a personality disorder, could be narcissistic. I'm not a psychologist. I don't diagnose people. But all I know is is the work I do works with reasonable people. Um, That said, I would invite you to notice how you talk about this person. Because so much of um, the work I try to do is really around emotional intelligence. I try to help people become aware of their stories about a situation and about another person. So I noticed you used um, adjectives like vindictive, selfish, um, amoral. And I'm not saying that you're wrong about that. I'm just inviting you to notice that those are adjectives. So could could you instead describe some of the specific behaviors that this person is doing that upset you? She twists things that people say. There is never any appreciation in her words. Um, she's, she already assumes she's right. There is no softness or, um, appreciation. Right. So you're a very perceptive person. You did a good job shifting from adjectives to describing her behavior. Okay. And does that feel different for you? 
Yes, but I still feel that she is capable of hurting people. What I like to point out to people is most of us don't wake up in the morning ready to attack other people unless we've been attacked ourselves. So another thing that I would invite you to do is just to see her as a victim. We don't know her story, and I'm not asking you to be a therapist, and I'm not asking you to find out what her story is. But what I encourage folks to do is to um, take the high road and to say, how can I be the adult in this situation? Gee, this situation really needs an adult, and my boss isn't being the adult. So what can I do to role model healthy communication behavior? And I would encourage you to be the person that you want her to be. You, right. want her, you want her to be appreciative, then you can start appreciating her. And That's this, a good idea. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a challenge, but she's got to be doing something right. You want hers to be soft? How can you be soft? Okay. Okay? And one more thing. When, she, when you say she assumes she's right, uh-huh. I want to encourage you to point out to her when she isn't right. Now, I know there's people out there saying, oh, this is so Pollyanna-ish, but... We are not going to change people's behavior until we start changing our own. That's a, that's a good point. Would you address the issue of the difference between bullying and management of people? Yeah, that's a big one. And I do think there are a lot of bullies in the workplace. And like I said, I think there are some bullies who don't know what they're doing. And so part of our job is to point out when we're uncomfortable. So whatever she does, if she, if she comes in and... Uh, interrupts people. So to point that out, oh, excuse me, I kind of do the Columbo thing. Oh, oh excuse, excuse me, I don't, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but I wasn't finished speaking. <laughs> or And I kind of giggle too. Or excuse me, I, I'm sorry, could I finish? You just do, you know, just like a little soft thing like that. The problem with bullies, here's the deal with bullies. Nobody's ever told people who are bullies what they're doing wrong. That's your job. I welcome you to start doing that with her. Okay. Thank you very much. And we do have another person on the phone. Hi there. All right. Well, here goes. Um, My situation is um, age, age difference between myself and my manager. He's so apprehensive to let me have any kind of project, and if I do get a project, it's after he has screened it and been a part of it, and then he lets me pick up the tail end of it. It's almost like, you know, it's, um, it's discrimination is the way I feel about it. I just feel that he, he is so un- unsure of himself, obviously, that he feels that he, he's got to be very picky about what he gives to me. What is the age difference? Uh, I am 54 and he's 35. Yeah, that's tricky. And how long have you worked for him? I have worked for him for a uh, little over a year now. I just feel that he is pushing me off into a corner because he doesn't, even though the whole company knows that I'm not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been direct. But what's your main feeling? When I ask you how are you feeling about this, what would you say is your main feeling? Mad, sad, glad? Pardon me? Discrimination. Discrimination. Right. Well, that's not an emotion. Do you feel mad or sad or afraid? Um, more... I'm not mad at the situation because I understand, you know, because of his age and, you know, he's a ladder climber, so I understand those. Well, let me interrupt. You're not mad. Is that true? I'm not really mad. I've got to say I'm more disappointed. You're disappointed. What are you disappointed about? I just thought he was more intelligent. So 
there's a couple things going on because when you started describing it as discrimination, if you feel it is age discrimination, I would encourage you to talk with the Human Resources Department about that. Have you thought about doing that? Yeah, but it's so political in these huge corporations that they take it to a fever that I don't even want to get involved in. Is that true? You don't want to try it? I Yeah, because you know what? I like the guy a real lot. Why do I want to take it to that level? Okay. And, I, and I'm trying to find, that's why I wanted to talk to you. I'm trying to figure out a way to talk to him. I mean, I already had to talk to him to quit using his BlackBerry while he's having a meeting with me. I mean, the guy is on his BlackBerry answering the same time, email, phones are ringing. It does sound like you're angry. Well, it's at the BlackBerry situation, but I had the courage to go ahead and tell him straight up. I go, I will not be in a meeting with you and your BlackBerry. And okay. I go, Finish this sentence for me. I'm angry at him because blank. I'm angry at him because he does not appreciate my talent. Okay, let's it. okay. Let's start right there. He does not appreciate your talent. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Is it true one hundred percent of the time? No. He's, okay. He, so he comes to me all day long. Mo, what should I do? What should ah, I do? Ah, okay, good. So I'm going to ask you to notice that that we have a thought, but it's not totally true. When you have the thought, he does not appreciate my talent, that's not 100% true, is it? This is a good example of how we get upset with people in the workplace because we look at their external behavior and decide what's going on in their heads. It sounds like that's what's happening with you. You're looking at his behavior and deciding that he's afraid that you're going to one-up him. Has he ever looked at you and said, I'm afraid you're going to one-up me? No, because no. He just, you know, uh, let me... Okay, so let me, finish. if I could just okay, finish. Go ahead. go ahead. So when we, when you have the thought, mm-hmm. how do you feel? I'm more sad and, and disappointed. Right, right. So that's good. That's good that you can connect with the fact that when you have that thought, you're sad and disappointed. Where do you feel that in your body, the sadness and disappointment? I don't know, like in my heart. So I want you to notice that it's a sad feeling in your heart. How would you describe that feeling, that sensation in your heart? Uh, Just as as if a friend wouldn't let me uh, continue to do something for them because they would be, you know, I mean, I like them. Right, exactly. I get that. You know, I I like him. I like him a real lot. That's why... I don't know how to talk to him and say, what's up? So let me interrupt again. I hear what you're saying. You want to know what to say to him. But the most important thing we need to do first is get calm. Because, see, if you're coming from a place where I know this is what he's thinking, he thinks I'm trying to one-up him, then we come from a place that's not relaxed. We come from a tense place. So that's the first step. You see how that's the first step? Yeah. Is really calming ourselves down and seeing that the thoughts we have aren't always true. Okay. The next step would be to say, now that I'm calm, how can I address him and how can I make a request of him that he treat me in a certain way at work? How can I address the fact that I feel like I'm being discriminated against? So I'm not sure uh, if that's helpful, but I, I think that we need to move on to our next call. Okay. All right. Thank you. I would imagine age issues are becoming more common in the workplace as younger people are being promoted to management. 
They really are. It's quite difficult. There are four or five generations in the workplace. And we usually tend to communicate in different ways. In general, we have different values, different work ethics. And so, again, it's about noticing how we create these, noticing the thoughts in our head that create stories about other people, calming ourselves down, and then having an honest conversation about them. That whole notion of calming yourself down is so critical because I could see it. It it can take um, people a really long time to even respond to the question, what are you feeling? Right. It's difficult because when we ask people, what are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling like he's not listening to me, Mm -hmm. but that's not really an emotion. Right. So emotional intelligence is a big way that I work with people in groups is to help them actually be able to say the, name the feeling, feel it in their body, let it be there because that's what's actually running our behavior in an inappropriate way. Feelings run behavior. So the more that we can be conscious of what our feelings are, you know, pleasant or unpleasant, we can't control them. They're just there for a reason. Then to tune into the body and let the body feel uncomfortable. Then we tend to be able to calm ourselves down and be able to speak in a more appropriate way. Another couple of tips that I give people to just relax their bodies. One is to be able to name the feeling, but another one is just to be able to relax even when we're tense. So a lot of times when we get angry at someone, we think, well, I have to be tense and I have to show in my voice or my body language that I'm angry. But that doesn't get us what we want. One suggestion I ask people to practice is what I call warm sandy beach. You know that feeling when you're on a perfect beach, there's a little bit of a breeze, and it's just nice and warm. And just really relax the body and feel comfortable, even though there are these tensions, maybe in the heart, the gut, in the head. If you don't like warm sandy beach, try hot tub. Anything warm that relaxes most of your body. And keep repeating that before the conversation and during the conversation so that you can stay somewhat grounded and relaxed. Today on Peace Talks, our host Carol Boss and some phone-in guests with workplace issues are talking with leadership coach and trainer Suzanne Kreider about communication strategies that can help make peace on the job. We're not taking calls right now. This phone-in session was recorded recently in the studio. Hello, you're on the air. Uh, Yes, hello. Tell us about a difficult situation you're having at work. Yeah, it's a bit related to, you know, uh, creating productivity when you work as a team. There are occasionally issues where, let's say, uh, you know, some folks are really determined. They like to work hard. They like to contribute. But, of course, uh, you know, it's always an issue also of skills. And uh, what I find myself uh, often in is a situation where I might see how we could better achieve our uh, goals by maybe changing the work practices we have. Are you yeah. the team leader or a team member? Uh, it uh, Both. Uh, <coughs> You know, sometimes a team leader and sometimes a team member. Right. And this gets into the confusion about roles. Correct. Because the confusion could be within yourself, and also probably some of the team members are confused. Who's the boss? Uh, yes. Okay. Occasionally it's easy for me, let's say, as a team leader to uh, to see where we could improve. But, uh, 
you know, I've got this problem that I don't like to come across every day as knowing everything and, okay, I've got all the ideas. I mean, I really want to make sure that people find their own ways, but it's very frustrating when you can see how we can waste, you know, very valuable time doing things in a very slow manner and, you know, ineffective. And and uh, I don't really have the answers for how to... Uh, then go to those employees and uh, suggest, you know, alternatives. And you want to be, you know, somewhat diplomatic, but uh, it's not an issue in terms of not wanting to work. It's an issue, how do you work effectively and, and how do you provide that guidance? Well, I think it's important for you to be clear about your role and make sure that they have the same understanding of situations when you are the leader versus when you are the member. Mm. I think it's also important for you to be clear about what I would call two different styles of leadership or supervision, and that's asking versus telling. And in some situations, you do need to tell. You need to be directive and you need to say, look, this is what we're going to do. It's like if the building's on fire, we don't want people trying to reach consensus on Mm -hmm. which door to go out. We want a leader who is strong and very directive and say, this is the way we're going. There are also situations, though, where you're going to be asking, And that's when you're going to be clear that you really do want to generate ideas from other people. And it's okay to use a little bit of each of those kinds of styles. Mm. But to be clear about when you know when you're going to do each one, and you can even tell your team members, in this situation, I'm going to make the decision. In this situation, I want to get your input. So what does that make you think of? How do you think you could use that? Uh, Yeah, it has occurred to me. And... uh it's not always easy, but you, you have to keep trying. And uh, Yeah, what's uh, not easy about it? It still comes across like uh, I'm telling people off or, you know, I'm telling too much how they should do it rather than, uh, you know, just provide the guidance. So, so is that what you're telling yourself, I'm telling people off, or are people <coughs> giving you that feedback that you're being a bully? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, sometimes I feel like maybe I'm a little bit too forceful and I really, you know, hope uh, avoiding that situation, but... Uh, I find that hard to believe. You don't sound like a bully. Well, uh, you know, work life can be stressful, and uh, you, uh, you know, you always have deliverables. There are always targets, and you need to make sure you, you stay focused. And and you walk, let's say, in, 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 in you know, you, you catch up with people, and you realize, gee, there's a half a day that's completely lost, and we could have done that in five minutes. I mean, it's a little bit, you know, upsetting occasionally. And um, yeah, so here's a couple tips on that. Uh, First of all, I want you to be clear about what your standards are for their performance. People aren't going to be perfect, and a good rule of thumb is 80%. That's true. So I want you to be clear about what's 100% to you and then be willing to accept an 80% standard. That's a very, very good uh, way of looking at it. And you're right. I mean, I have actually very high targets, and I like to work on the 95%, but you're right. I mean, Well, 95% is great, and you can probably (laughs) do that yourself. But we can't always expect that because there's so many variables that human beings are working with all the time. And the other thing is, I think, to find clear and concise ways to deliver feedback. Mm. You want to deliver positive feedback as as often as possible, but a lot of times you're going to be delivering feedback that's developmental or constructive. Mm. And the way to do that, here's a really simple way. What, what, why? What, what, why? What, what, why? What you did... Describe the behavior, what you need to do, that's the new behavior, and why you need to do it that way. And it sounds like a lot of issues for you are about time. It's about efficiency. Exactly. Okay. So here's why you need to do it. 
this quickly, and here's the time frame I need it in. So is that helpful? Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you, Suzanne. Bye. Suzanne, is there anything else that you would like to say about that call? What we were talking about is an issue that most human beings have, and it's called standards and boundaries. When he says he has a standard for 95% effectiveness and other people don't have that high of a standard, we're going to have a lot of stress. It's important for us to realize that this is one of the reasons that we're in conflict at work is because we all have different ideas about what's good performance. This is why it's so important for managers, supervisors, employees, colleagues to all talk about what's an acceptable level of performance. Many employees in Western culture are getting overloaded and burned out because they feel unsafe to speak up and say, look, I can't handle this amount or this complexity of work. And when employees tell me, I couldn't be that honest with my boss, I say, look, if the quality and the quantity of your workload is affecting how you do your job, your boss wants to know that. So what, we're, what I'm advocating in workplaces is actually changing the culture so that people feel comfortable to tell the truth about what they can and cannot accomplish. Well, we just listened to a few callers. Are there some themes that run throughout those calls? What major points can you pull from them that you would like to um, use in our last few moments? I talk with many people about conflict in the workplace and ask people to talk about their feelings. Most people respond, we shouldn't do feelings in the workplace. So one main point I'd like for people to take away is that we're having feelings all the time. Feelings are in response to thoughts and experiences, and we're having thoughts and experiences throughout our workday. So we're having feelings, mad, sad, glad, or afraid. I would encourage folks to notice when they're having an unpleasant feeling and to identify what that source is, if it's related to another person, project, process, and go and have a conversation as soon as possible. Because the longer we delay the conversation, the more our dread increases and usually our anger and anxiety. Well, we can't deny our feelings. We also can't deny our needs and the needs to be heard, the needs to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And many times that's not encouraged in the workplace at all. So I guess it takes some courage to get that going, especially if you're um, an employee Hey, it really does because most, like you point out, most work cultures don't encourage a lot of openness and honesty. But we see just in situations, for example, it's a tragic one, but the Challenger disaster. There were technicians who knew that the O-ring was, was unstable. And they wrote emails and they tried to communicate up their concern about the O-ring. And what happened was uh, people at the top said, we can't stop this project. There's a school teacher on board. And what happened was seven people lost their lives because there wasn't an openness, there wasn't an environment where people could speak up and tell the truth. So that's a very extreme example, but it's happening in every workplace uh, around the planet today where people don't feel that they can speak up. And it takes so much energy to report out on 
mistakes or errors or just disagreements about what we're doing, who's doing it, and how it's supposed to get done. Leadership coach and trainer Suzanne Kreider, talking with Carol Boss. For direct links to Suzanne's website, dreadedconversations.com, and her ebook on peacemaking strategies in the workplace, you can visit our website, peacetalksradio.com. You can also hear this program again at that site, access other resources on today's topic, order a CD of the show, and join our Peace Talks mailing list, all at peacetalksradio.com. It's also fundraising season at Peace Talks Radio. We count on contributions from listeners like you to keep alive this precious airspace for talk about peacemaking strategies around the globe and in everyday life. Dozens of listeners have already made their donations. Learn how your tax-deductible contribution can help as well by visiting peacetalksradio.com. Additional support comes from the McCune Charitable Foundation of New Mexico, the Peace Tales CD Project, and KUNM. Music by Ali Adelman. I'm Paul Ingalls. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting Peace Talks.